folks, this is 13 and 3, otherwise known as Mogi and JC, welcoming you to the next episode of the Breakout Sessions podcast. This episode is sponsored by Raleigh's Coach Club and Hertel Law. We would like to welcome our guest to this podcast, former Minnesota Golden Gopher and multi-sport athlete, Denny Zacco. Mogi? Denny, thanks so much for hosting us uh, for this interview. It was a real interesting drive up today in the fog, but uh, we made it safe and sound, and we can't wait to hear your story. Well, I'm glad you're here. It'll, it should be fun. There's a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Well, we're certainly going to talk old-time hockey here, yes, we folks. Are. <laughs> uh, you know, Denny went to uh, the University of Minnesota back in the early 60s, early mid-60s, and uh, was a multi-sport athlete, and things were a lot different back then. And Denny, before we started uh, recording here, you talked about the fact that uh, you played sports for three years rather than four, because back then there was a, a rule you couldn't even play as a freshman. Freshmen were ineligible for any sport at that time. You, were, you had three years of eligibility. And I don't know the exact reasons, but I speculate it had something to do with academics of the, the thought that you'd have a year to acclimate yourself. And the second thing was maybe just the age differences. You know, there were there were a lot of guys coming into the league from Canada that in Canada and elsewhere, but were like twenty one coming into the league. Where most of like Minnesota, almost all of our team was just out of high school at seventeen, maybe eighteen at the at the earliest. So big age differences in the league. So as a freshman, did you get get a chance to skate? Oh, we we skated every day. We skated with. Uh, Sometimes with the varsity, sometimes separately, because they had a large, they, they'd recruit a large freshman class, mainly walk-ons, you know, that had the chance or were being given the opportunity. But when we didn't really have a schedule published, we'd play like the U.S. national team. We'd play the alumni, which was very strong. I bet. <laughs> and, you know, some of the smaller, better colleges around, like St. Mary's, for some reason, had a very strong team with at that time. So, you know, there were a few teams that we could compete with, but we were the greenies. I mean, literally the greenies. We had no numbers on our jerseys. We had green jerseys and that's, that's, you were nothing. (laughs) You, You didn't come in as a star. Even if you were a star, you didn't come in as a star. You were a greenie. They made sure you knew what your place was. That's right. right. (laughs) So Denny at the at that point, you mentioned some, that some of the Canadians would come down after playing junior hockey. What was, the, what was the state of junior hockey in the United States at that time? I don't think there was any. I don't think it existed, I, you know, that I'm aware of. Uh, um, we, there was no such thing in, in Minnesota, for sure. Like, they had rules that really were prohibitive of you going out of state to play hockey somewhere. I mean, and, and being able to come back and play high school. Um, I'll digress here, but it would like Ty's situation with wanting to go to play in the Olympics, my, my grandson, Ty Amberson, and then they, the WIA voted that he could not come back and participate in high school tournaments, you know, but that's what Minnesota had at that time as well. But I don't know of any, I mean, you either, you know, there was enough hockey in Minnesota at the junior, at the peewee level, squirt level, that type of thing that, uh, no one considered going anyplace else, you know. You either went to college or you didn't play. Or you were done. Yeah. Okay. Or town teams. Sure, sure. Back when you were uh, in high school, growing up in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, you know, in the 50s and early 60s, okay, I'm going to throw a jab, but did you skate in indoor rinks back then? Well, let me start out as even younger than that, okay? In, In White Bear, we did have an advantage, and that's one of the reasons we were one of the stronger areas. There was a thing called the hippodrome and it was the cattle building for the fair but it was only it was right next to the high school and I lived about three blocks from that and when we first started when I was really little all I can remember is my dad would uh, ice the sidewalk you know and that's that was my rink in the yard was the sidewalk <laughs> <laughs> and we even put ice in the garage floor and so I could shoot things out there. So when I was really young, that, that was my world was, you know, we had outdoor rinks around the city, but every day I was out on that sidewalk or I was in my garage being Maurice Rashad. You know. Oh, sure. Oh, the rocket. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Wow. Your dad must have, uh, 
Was your dad a hockey guy then? My I mean- dad had nothing to do with athletics. He was just he 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 worked hard. He didn't even wasn't even able to come to a lot of like my high school events because he could not take off work. I mean, you know, we needed the he made the income. You know, sure. and at that time it wasn't like you could just take off. You know, he was a carpenter most of his life at that time, and if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. You know, right. So that's the way it was. But they were, my mom and dad were very supportive in that they, I didn't have to work much. <laughs> All I had to do was play. <laughs> and I, and I worked hard at it. So I can imagine doing the uh, icing up the sidewalk to get to the garage and then you can skate in there. So the, how the rest of the family get back and forth? I mean, where'd you park your car? <laughs> they parked the car out in the driveway. Oh, the driveway. You know? <laughs> so you can skate so inside. <laughs> Holy cow, that's dedication. That's sacrifice right there. Exactly. But you wonder how that starts. You know, what, what give, I have no idea, you know, what gives you that desire to want to do those things, you know, to just be so involved. And like for baseball, which I played also, um, the ball field was, you know, we, in our backyard, we had a big backyard and that was, the kids would come there all the time. We had a backyard and we had a regular baseball field at the elementary school about a block away. And God, you played all day long. You were playing work up, you know, that was the big thing, you know, work up baseball where you rotate around and when you were not called out, you went to right field, then the center, then the left, <laughs> then the third, the short, and you worked your way back up to bat. But that was the life. Um, and the hippodrome, the point of the hippodrome was it kept ice about six weeks longer than any place else because of the roof, you know, and it was chillier in there. But the other advantage was that was available. There was no lock on the door. You could go in there 24-7, and I spent a lot of time in that hippodrome. You know, at night, <laughs> different hours, it just, it was available, you know. And it was hardly used by other than the when they had practices or games. So, you know, you had your own ice surface, you know. Wow. Nice. What was your draw to hockey? I mean, you're talking about putting in excessive hours in the sport you loved and, and of course your dad sacrificing his garage <laughs> what was the draw that brought you to the game I, I i i don't have an answer for that i don't know other than i know i have a brother that played hockey you know in high school 11 years older than i was but but boy by the time i was born you know by the time I got to eight or nine, he wasn't around playing hockey or whatever. So I really don't, that's one thing I can't answer. It's just, it's all I can say, it just has to be natural. You know, you, 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 I was, I became interested in sports. Like I mentioned, Maurice Rashad, you know, you, the, the games were just starting occasionally to be televised on TV or something. The North Stars didn't exist. You know, they didn't come in until, what, 66 or something? Yep, 67. So We were just uh, talking about that on the way up here today. And as you moved on up to high school, all of our games were outside. We we had no indoor games until you got to the regionals. Then they went to Mariucci Arena. But up until that time... People were, the, from the snow being shoveled over the banks, you had people along the boards just standing there on the snow banks watching the games. A little different than, than today, right, Denny? Yeah, plus we had to shovel the ice. We didn't have somebody else shoveling the ice. <laughs> so there really we was shoveled the ice. No, home, no home ice advantage <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Intermission was just to clear the ice. So you mentioned uh, you know, that it came to you naturally, but you must have been well, you were quite an all-around athlete, uh, being able to play collegiately both at baseball and hockey. So where did that natural athletic ability come from? Once again, I have no idea. It just has to be God-given that you just, you know, it's it's not only the, I think, the main thing is, in my mind, is it's not only the physical ability to be able to do those things, but you have to be driven. Something Something wants you to really want it, you know, and I really wanted it. Yeah, I can remember a big event to me that I. It's funny how you can remember certain things. I was probably eight to ten years old, and they used to have the town team games in this hippodrome. And one night they had a thing where they had races, and the first place prize for going around the rink as fast as you could was a hockey stick. And I had not had a hockey stick like that hockey stick. And the second place was a puck. Okay. And there was one kid that I had, I just knew from the 
little league hockey at that point or something like 10, 12 years old. I can't remember the age, but he was fast and he was considered going to be the, the future star at White Bear. And that's who it came down to. He and I were the finals. And I was very concerned because I was a better skater. Everybody's got a natural usually. I was left to right, and they set the race up right to left, where you had to go around the nets right to left instead of left to right. So that was I was really concerned. But I wanted that so bad. And by the time we got about six, eight feet from the finish line, he had me by about a foot and a half, and I dove <laughs> and skidded across and I won that oh you stick. got that stick <laughs> so, and back then it was probably a, a wooden big lumber uh, type like an old Northland or Christian or something like that I kept about a half a dozen so all my grandkids the, the, the boys have all got a hockey stick on their wall of Northland Northland straight stick you, you know and just to Digress here just a second. When when I was about a junior in college is when the first uh, curve stick came out. They weren't very much, but they were a little bit up to that time. And and we weren't we didn't get them right away. The first people that got them, I remember, it was Stan Makita, the Blackhawks. I think was a, one of the first ones to use a curve stick. We would take our straight sticks, put them in water, hot water, for a couple hours, and then put them under a door and bend them. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to do that the, just before the game because they'd go st- back to straight. <laughs> they didn't stay that way. <laughs> and we probably got a quarter-inch bend, you know. <laughs> did you feel it made a difference for you one way or another? I don't you, think it did. You just it, did, did it because other guys you know. did it. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I'd say mentally, once again, you know, sure. a lot of things yeah. are in your mind, you know. And I'd say we probably did feel as though we had an advantage. But <laughs> Recruiting. You mentioned your grandson, Ty Emerson, uh, who played for the Badgers and, and was drafted by uh, uh, Arizona. And recruiting for him was probably a lot different than recruiting was for you. Can you give a little insight as to you're playing you know, high school hockey? How did you end up with the Gophers? Well, first of all, there, there was no internet, as you know, you know. So everything was done by mail. I mean, mail uh, or direct contact. And um, I, was re- I was recruited for all three sports. I, was, I also played football. Um, I, uh, the, I, w- I earned 11 letters in high school. And, and I'll tell you the story why I didn't earn 12. Okay. okay. I'll tell you that first. And okay. We'll go back to the <laughs> That'd be great. That's great, yeah. We had a very we, we, we were a very good peewee team. That was, the, that was like the Bantams today. And the coaches knew that even if that a couple of us that could contribute to the high school at that time, we probably weren't going to contend. There were a couple of real strong teams like South St. Paul and so forth. So they said, look, we could go out and win the state championship at Pee Wee's. So where, and you couldn't do both. Uh, you weren't allowed by rules to do both. So the coaches and the, whoever was involved in hockey decided we're going to play Pee Wee's instead of playing freshman at the high school. And we did go on and win the state tournament. So we were state peewee champions in White Bear at that time. That was a big deal. Okay. So we, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't play hockey as a freshman for that reason. As far as recruiting went, um, you didn't hear from like, like Ty had an opportunity to go anywhere in the country. I mean, he was recruited by every school because there's just the exposure is so great. I had Minnesota was where when you grew up in the state of Minnesota at that time, you wouldn't consider going any place. I was recruited by some of the eastern schools like RPI and I can't remember if it was uh, Boston College or whatever it might be, but only one or two. But Minnesota, you know, there was, you wouldn't have given consideration to any other place. I mean, you wanted to go to Minnesota. That's when I grew up. That was my dream. Okay, that was that was my target. You wanted to be a Gopher. I wanted to be a Gopher. You and every other boy in Minnesota. Yeah. And yep. I was recruited by them for hockey. I was recruited by them for baseball, and I was also recruited by them for football. Holy mackerel! So I got I, my mother kept everything. I have every artifact. I got the letters from Murray Warmath, you know. Sure. You know, I I was given pass. I went to every football game. I got to go into the locker rooms, you know, this kind of stuff. That's what they would do back then, is just like they do now. But that was that was their ticket, just inviting you to the games and things. 
you know, multi-sport athlete and you're being recruited at the collegiate level for three of them Holy cow. for our listeners, you know, what position were you playing in each of those sports? Um, you look at me now and you wouldn't believe that I was a quarterback safety in football. <laughs> you just worked out more, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, but I was, I, I had some speed, you know, and I, and I obviously, I would not have been a quarterback. I, I would have been recruited as like a, a safety, a defensive back or a defensive end. That's what they had told me at Minnesota and Wyoming and other school. You know, you somehow you get connections. Baseball never considered any place but Minnesota, you know, and I was a, and in high school, I was a um, shortstop and pitcher, played a little bit of first base. And then, but when I went to Minnesota, I played first base. Um, and in, well, you got some height. You probably had a good stretch off that yeah, bag. Yeah, I was, I was, I did fine. You know, it was, it was a good time playing baseball there. Dick Siebert was a wonderful coach. Um, hockey. Um, I was a left wing and I, I played center all through high school, but as soon as I got to Minnesota, they realized that I was actually right-handed play and I, and I could turn to the left. Well, like I say, and you're right-handed. So they realized it was a big advantage to playing left wing because at that time with straight sticks, I, I, I could make a pass backhand as well as forehand. So when you came in on the net, turning to the right, you had a big advantage if you got a step on the defenseman because your 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 stick is towards the net rather than the outside. So you had a much better angle. So they loved that, that I was right handed and could play left wing. Makes sense. <laughs> and that's sold. Uh, you know no red carpets, you know, no major meals. It's it's letters coming to you saying we want you and that and of course you're getting into the locker room. So you've got these three sports. What made you decide hockey out of the three? And baseball. Well, and that, I, I apologize. Yes, and baseball. The sport that I probably had the best future in at that time was actually baseball. But I loved hockey. And I loved hockey just for the, the speed of it. Practices were more fun. Everything. It, it was just the contact. You know, you could, you could have it all in hockey. You know, you could have certain advantages in football. Physical contact was great, but hockey gave you that plus the speed, plus just the fun of being able to, it's fun just to go out and hit the net with a shot. You know I mean? There's just excitement there. I don't know. It's like, how do you get excited every time a pheasant gets up? You know what I mean? It's, sure. it's the thrill yep. of the hunt, you know? <laughs> and to me, it was the thrill of the game. Yeah. Were there any other guys, um, that you played with that were multi-sport athletes as yourself, or were they pretty much just one, one sport athlete? I would say at, in, at my school at White Bear Lake, there were probably one other kid that was, you know, played all three sports that I can think of. Um, maybe two or three other classmen, but in my class, I can think of one. It was even rare there. You know, there were two sports was very common, but to excel in three sports was not very common wow what was it like playing under an iconic coach if if i remember john mariucci was your was your coach at the time oh i feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to play with for john mariucci and um he he was such a unique guy uh he he was just plain fun (laughs) fun and non-fun i mean he you know i can remember him you you could be if you had a great game he was so happy for you if you had a bad game the next day you'd read that you were taken off and put onto the third line or maybe fourth line you know what i mean he was very public about it. <laughs> you understand his good side yeah, I wasn't, wasn't but, shy um, all i can say is that i was very fortunate because he loved me he really did like i was different you know, and it wasn't all athletic ability. It was just the fact that I was a little eccentric. You know, I liked my hobbies. I did a lot of things. And uh, his nickname for me was Baby Huey. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, so we had a good relationship. And and he, you know, as a, as a coach, um, he had, he had a coaching staff that you probably would never even, I, I don't even remember the names of them, frankly, but we had two guys that hung around at every practice. 
and it was Lou Nanny and Herbie Brooks. Oh, goodness. You know, they weren't paid coaches, but they were, honest to God, they were there for 90% of the practices. And that's where they learned their, a lot, honed a lot of their skills as far as learning and, and development of, I'm, I'm sure, their future careers. You have to remember when I graduated, there were, I think, still only six teams in the NHL. The original six, sure. Yep. And in baseball, there were still only the original eight or whatever there were. So expansion took place uh, about a year or two after I graduated. And then the World Hockey Association, for example, started. So all of a sudden you went from when I, the, the day I graduated, I don't think there was an American playing in the NHL. Two, four years later, it opened up. Yeah. You know, and it was just like the floodgates opened up. But the, the, you know, the, the talent required exponentially went up how big, you know, from six to 20 teams, you know, that's a big difference. And that's when it really opened up. And it also, at that time, a big thing was when I was a senior in high school was the first year we played our games indoors. Aldrich Arena opened up in North St. Paul. So we played all our games indoors and that opened it up the hockey in the Twin Cities. And that had an impact on the University of Minnesota rosters because up to that time, I'd say 80% of the players were from the range, mm -hmm. 20% from the cities. In about a three-year period there, it's flipped totally to where by the time I was a senior, 80% of the players were from the cities and 20% were from the range. Wow. So there was, it was really a time of change back then. Certainly I, was. I also had a second coach at Minnesota because I was Mariucci retired the year I was a junior after my junior year, and um, uh, the next coach was Glenn Sonmore, and there was another gentleman. Oh God, what a nice guy he was! He wrote me one of the nicest letters after I graduated that that year, of just thanking me for the uh, the leadership, you know, helping helping so much as a leader on the team or whatever. It was just a wonderful letter from Glenn. I, I still have that letter. Oh, wonderful. So we're, you excelled in baseball. You excelled in, in hockey. And I and JC and I were talking on the way up here that it was probably still at the original six level when, when you finished up. When there did become expansion, you know, it did open up things for the Americans did you have any feelers that anybody reach out to you about possibility of continuing your career at that level? What, um, what happened in a nutshell is I was offered a large contract in high school for baseball, okay? And I turned it down to go to Minnesota because that was my dream, okay? And my, my parents encouraged me as well to get, go get an education. And I think when I was a senior, it was the first year of the draft, because they were trying to eliminate those larger bonuses to high school players and things, so they put in the draft. And um, I was drafted by Philadelphia, and I think out of high school I was offered like 40000 which was a huge amount of money back then. And when I graduated, I was offered a $5,000 bonus and $600 a month. And what had happened was about 90 days before the end of school, the, the assistant athletic director was relatively young at Minnesota, Glenn Reed. He called me and said, I know you you intend on playing ball, and that's what I intended on doing was playing baseball because I, I felt as though I had a bigger opportunity there. Um, but he said, I've got a, a college roommate of mine, good friend. One of my best friends is a professional recruiter for businesses. And he comes up every year for the last couple of years, and he wants me to recommend three guys. So he said the qualifications are you, he wants somebody that's got competitiveness, exhibits leadership, and you don't have to be a brain, but you should be uh, at least above average intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the three characteristics. And you have to either be, he only recruited hockey players, football players, or wrestlers. All right. And, that, and the whole concept was that if you had leadership, competitiveness, and, a, a, and an average intelligence or above, that those same characteristics that you exhibit in athletics would carry over into business. Sure. And I went to the interview, okay? And um, at that time, by, I had just gotten married, okay? And um, 
we the the bottom line in a nutshell is I went to three interviews in Chicago. He represented all Chicago companies, and one of them was a company called AB Dick. And their general sales manager was once again a young guy that was a friend of this guy. And it we it just you click. You know what I mean? You you know you, you, people. I hope young people recognize today that it really helps to have a mentor. You know, Mariucci was a mentor. Sonmore was a mentor. Siebert was a mentor. Is that? coach in college those are people that are influence your life and these guys i was impressed with them and i had 90 days before i was supposed to go play in the uh pan american games and they said why do the ab dick why don't you come down we got a 90-day management training program try it if you don't like it you can go back okay well first off they offered a salary of 18 grand well, 18000 in 1966 or 67 <laughs> was a lot. Three times what they were offering me for baseball at that time. Because they, you know, you weren't paying the professional athletics was not very. Yeah, not even what at it is that today. Time. Yeah. That's when it's when the expansion and the league, then stuff started escalating. But so I took that job is the bottom line. And I moved out of the Twin Cities. Well, two years later, when expansion and all that took place, a lot of the guys that I played baseball with or hockey with definitely made it to the pros, you know, at least played in juniors, you know, or uh, the minors. But a few of them also made it to the pros. And, you know, in all modesty, I don't mean it. You just, I know that I feel in my mind I was good enough to have done that. It's just timing in life is important. You know, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And I look back when I saw some of the guys that were, you know, when starting to hit 200 and making money, you know, <laughs> my golly. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a quick little break here to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. We're talking about Raleigh's Coach Club in Altoona, Wisconsin. Located across the street from the Altoona Ice Arena on Spooner Avenue, has been a staple in the Altoona community for decades, providing support and sponsorship for youth and adult sports. Raleigh's has your favorite beverage ready and your favorite team on the screen. Thanks, Raleigh, for your support. Yeah, Raleigh's is uh, a staple for uh, us old-timers. After we're done playing hockey, we, we sneak over and make sure that the beverages are still cold. But, uh, you know, you had mentioned, Denny, um, mentors, you know, and, and coaches like Brooks and Nanny and Mariucci. You had some iconic individuals in your life. We had a, uh, a previous interview with a guy that played at Michigan Tech, a, a guy by the name of Darcy Way, who played under another legendary coach, John McGinnis, up at mm -hmm. D Stadium. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about, uh, some of your rivalries up, uh, when you were playing collegiate hockey and, uh, Michigan tech was a thorn in your side during your playing days. And, uh, you had a, a fun game in our eyes, a fun game up at D stadium and, and don't leave anything out that you told Mogi and I about if you, if you'd share that story with our listeners, that's, uh, that that's old time hockey. Well, Michigan tech, I don't think we ever beat them in the three years I was playing. We were competitive with them. It was like four, three games, two, one, four, two or something, but they had, they had a real talented team. First off, they had a, a really good goaltender. And I, um, uh, he was just absolutely incredible. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm at a mental block here. Tony Esposito. Tony Esposito, yeah, yes. was their goaltender. Yep. And uh, he was good friends with Lou Nanny. I think they came from the same town. Yeah. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Yep. Yeah. They, and uh, we had another player on our team at that time, uh, Fraze, that was also from there. Lauren Grasso was from up there. So there was there was a lot of you know, um, relationships there with Michigan Tech. But we used to bus. Mariucci did not fly unless we absolutely had to. He was scared to death of an airplane. And we wouldn't have flown to Michigan Tech anyhow, but most people weren't taking buses up there. Okay, so and when you, I can remember the first time I drove into that town. You know, they have so much snow, and they didn't have the where they hauled it away like they do now in downtown areas. They, you know, that little downtown was what less than a block long or so, but the snow was higher than the windows on the bus. You know, <laughs> that's my first recollection of of uh, Houghton, Michigan. You're hitting the nail on the head. That yeah. is Houghton, Michigan, <laughs> and the rink was a was by today's standards North Dakota 
Duluth was a curling ice. North Dakota was a Quonset hut. And Houghton was a Quonset hut. I guess D Stadium, right? That is correct. I mean, it was, it was they, they were, you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine you were playing that level of hockey in those kind of arenas. But, and they were, there was, if I recall, and you correct me if you'd probably know more than I do about the stadium, I don't remember any netting around the sides or anything. And the, the boards were not real high. And the fans, the first row of fans were right there. I mean, if you checked somebody into the boards, they were they were bumping heads with the crowd. I mean, it was... <laughs> yeah, that, that's correct. And they eventually put up a chain link fence around the edge. And, and as kids, we'd crawl over that chain link yeah. fence to get on the ice. But go ahead with your story. They uh, and they all joined arms, and one row would go one way, and one way to the other to an umpa band. They had an umpa band up and playing that kind of music, and it was just a nuts place to play. And the Friday night game, there was a big brawl, and I think we lost like seven to nine players. Michigan Tech lost seven to eight players or whatever, kicked out. And I can remember in the pregame, the Saturday night game, Mariucci says, look, don't anybody get in a fight. We can't afford to lose another skater. All right. Well, it was probably the first or second shift down the ice. I'm going full bore with a defenseman for the puck and we're you know we're harassing each other and we hit the boards and we started to fight all right so it was we both get thrown in the penalty box and now the penalty boxes were right next to one another you know there was no dividers between them or anything and he's he's going into the penalty box he's got one leg over the side and I'm on the other and I go skating past him to get to my penalty box and he made some reference to my mother, okay? So I turned around and hit him over the head with my stick, okay? <laughs> and I don't know if he got knocked out or what. All I remember is the next thing, all I can do is I'm on my back's on the ice, and there's probably six or eight Michigan Tech players on top of me just pounding me, all right? So, and my buddy Dick Paradise came to my rescue, and bottom line is, Two of the Michigan Tech players and Dick Paradise and I, who was my best friend at Minnesota, both got sent to the locker rooms. The locker rooms were in that off the lobby of the entry to the rink. Theirs and ours. And Dick turns to me and says, let's go get them. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't finish it on the ice. <laughs> so, so we go into the Michigan Tech locker room and we start fighting, restart the fight in there. And the fans heard about that. Somehow it got into there. The whole rink emptied into that lobby. It was an absolute riot. And the state police came. As a matter of fact, my second best friend was a kid named Mike Krupe. Uh, he got a, his jaw busted from a state patrol cop hitting him in the jaw with his flashlight. You know, it was, wow. I mean, this was a wild thing. You know, uh -huh. It really got wild. And so that... That wouldn't happen. To, you never would have read about it. This is the di big difference today. I feel sorry for these kids. They like uh, Ty, for example. They operate under a microscope. You know, if there's anything that happens to any of those kids, it's jumped on and publicized. You would have never read about this. You know, no, the press, the sports writers didn't do anything. It was just it happened, and when it was over, it was over. You Part know? of old time hockey. Yeah, and the irony of it is. We got invited because of the connections with uh, Tony Esposito and them. We went to their party after the game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, leave it on the ice. Or you in the and locker Dick room. Were only, yeah, you and Dick were allowed to even walk in, huh? <laughs> well, you know, Dick Paradise was one heck of a player. And who else was on your line at that time? Well, um, the 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 probably the best line I Jack Dale and I played together a lot. But when I was a junior, I played with Doug Woog and Bruce Larson. They were, they were a real good pair from South St. Paul. You, you, Doug Woog, obviously. But Bruce Larson, was a, Bruce Larson was the digger. He'd go into the corner, get the puck, and pass it out to Doug, and Doug would score. And uh, that, that's, that, that was probably the, 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 the most fun time to play with a guy like Doug Woog. He was, he was unbelievably good, you know. Another icon in the world of hockey. Yeah. Yep. Another goal, former golfer coach. Yes. You uh, you certainly have grown up and played around some phenomenal individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, looking back, 
is there somebody in your past in the hockey community that you feel had the biggest impact on you? Oh boy. I, I would say the guy that really, it's hard to say that it couldn't be anybody else, but just Mariucci and Sonmore. I mean, they were, they were just, they were just good people, you know, and that, that's what I think is important. You know, they, were they the best coaches in the world? Um, they were great coaches, but they were just greater people. And I think that's what you, that's what you really learn in life is that you have to have people that are good hearted people that care for you and exhibit that care. And they did. Um, the guy, the, my, one of the people that I respected the most and probably the guy that, well, I, I don't know if I want to bring up the hall of fame type stuff, but you know, um, absolutely. But yeah, when I when I went for the introduction to the Hall of Fame at Minnesota, the guy that I recognized singled out was my high school baseball coach. And he was so moved by that because he was absolutely background. I mean, no one would have ever thought that. But here's a guy that the, the, he just, how you can be so committed as a high school coach to your players and have just totally under the, under the radar, you know, and I just, that's, that told me something. And that, and I, what I say I learned from that was the fact that there were kids on the team that weren't very good. And I, I learned from him at a very early age, treat everybody the same. Don't, it doesn't make a difference. You don't have to, every one of your friends doesn't have to be a star. They just are people, you know, and they're nice young men. And that, that he, I learned a lot of lessons from Norm Eklund was his name. And I'll tell you, he was, his daughters were so happy after that ceremony because he was so moved, you know, and, but he deserved it. You know, he really deserved it. And it was kind of funny. I, I got letters from like, I got a letter from one of the assistant football coaches and said, God, you didn't mention me. He says, I taped your ankles for three years. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and you can't remember everything. You can't remember you, everybody. You just can't do yeah, it. But, that's true. Uh, when you say that, that'll sound strange. But for some reason, that guy stuck out to me. Well, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got somebody that's uh, that much of a supporter and, and touched your life that much, it, I'm glad you did. You know, we're going to talk about uh, another one of our sponsors, Hertel Law, law firm that you want on your side. Harry Hertel's been in the business for a long time, and as a law enforcement officer, I went up against him more than once, and he does a heck of a job representing his clients. Uh, If you want Harry for something other than um, criminal law, he also uh, takes care of uh, um, persons that need help if you're injured or you know, any type of situation, give Harry a call at 715-832-4330 for a free in-person consultation. And, and Harry is a very ethical attorney and you won't be disappointed. Um, Denny, you shared some fantastic stories here and, uh, you know, looking back, any regrets on not going to play baseball as opposed to taking that job in in business? I would say no question. There was a two or three year period where I really did have regrets. And that was two or three years out of school when the expansion took place. And I saw the players that were playing and I, you know, in your own mind, there were no guarantees. You never know. I mean, anything can happen, but I felt as though I was a better player than a lot of those guys playing there, and the opportunity was there at that time, where it wasn't necessarily the same opportunity before. The money had improved. I probably could have made a better living. But overall, I have, when I look back at it today, I don't have regrets just from the standpoint that God has blessed me with the family, with the business background that I had, and life has been very good for myself and my family. So... Overall, it's been a wonderful experience. I, I sure who wouldn't have? I mean, if you love sports, you'd love to still be playing. Absolutely, but, yeah. But uh, life has been good to me. So you go from the university down to Chicago, training with AB Dick. Where along the line did you end up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin? 
what that once again this the, that program as I described it the, the recruiter did was so successful for AB Dick Company they did that for about I don't know if it was 10 12 15 years and you can't believe the retention rate they had with the people that they hired like myself now I stayed with AB Dick Company for eight years and we, we we lived in Kansas City we lived in Cincinnati we lived in Chicago and my goal at them was to be a, a branch manager and sales management for them. And in the meantime, while I was in Chicago, I learned of a uh, opening in Eau Claire. They had a distributor, and it was a guy named Dave Stevens who owned Eau Claire Book and Stationery back then. That was his primary business. He owned a printing company, and he owned the A.B. Dick franchise, which wasn't doing well. And neither was Lacrosse doing well. So A.B. Dick went to them and said, what if you combine the two, we combine the two, give you a bigger market, and you hire somebody to, to manage the both of them. And a friend of mine came up from Chicago to interview for it, and they didn't like him, okay? Number one, he had a beard. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, I had a little goatee going. <laughs> it wouldn't have worked out for but me. <laughs> this, this is another thing that changes with time. Back then, that wasn't real accepted in business. You, you know what I mean? It just wasn't. You you were if you weren't clean, you might offend somebody. You know that. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's just a fact of life. That was in the '60s. All right. Um, but he came back and told me that he went up there, and I said, "Well, geez, do you mind if I go up and interview with them?" Well, I went up, and it we hit it off very well. And Dave Stephen turned out to be a fantastic gentleman. I went up there on a on an agreement that in five years I'd be able to buy the business out, and um, he developed health problems after two years. And here's a guy that, you know, you hear so many bad stories about people make commitments they don't fulfill them. Dave became like a father to me, and he fulfilled every commitment that he committed to plus some. And he helped my. I had a. Uh, I recruited a, a partner for lacrosse. And we, that's the way we got to Eau Claire. You know, we came up, we were so, my wife and I, we were from the city, so it wasn't that far, but we had never been to Eau Claire. But we were very, very impressed with the community, you know, with Carson Park and the, the area close to home. It was just, it was an ideal opportunity for us. So we took that opportunity and first year of sales were $250,000, you know. Sure. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's, but congratulations. <laughs> in two years, we, we turned it around and made money for Mr. Stevens. And so he was a happy camper too. But we ended up, I ended up buying it after three years of being here instead of five. And he fulfilled every commitment that he made. Wonderful gentleman. You know, we talked a little bit uh, about your business and we've talked about your collegiate career, high school career. And then we touched on your grandson, Ty Emerson, uh, who was a phenomenal hockey player out of Eau Claire here. Eau Claire Memorial went on to uh, National Team Developmental Program and then went to the Badgers. Denny, <laughs> you Ooh. bleed Ooh. Golden Gopher. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like when your grandson is letting you know that you're going to an arch rival? Oh, golly. Um, <laughs> well, first off, if things hadn't changed with the coaching stuff, Ty Ty grew up a Gopher fan. I mean, we were there. You know, we went to games there. Everything he he fully expected to be a Gopher fan, but he did take the opportunity to visit. I think a half a dozen schools: Notre Dame, Boston College, Boston University, you know, Wisconsin, and um, it. There's no doubt I wanted him to go to Minnesota and hope that he would go to Minnesota. I, I admit that, and he knows that. But on the other hand, um, the coaching staff was turning over at that point. He he, And when when Wisconsin put in Granado, he had Tony and Donnie at that time, and the defensive coach he really was impressed with, he made up his own mind that that's where he thought it was best. And I was probably moping around the house, as my wife will tell you a little bit. And, and she looked at me and she says, you know, it's not all about you. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. And she she made me put on a Wisconsin T-shirt and go over and congratulate him. Oh. Okay. That must have been hard for you, but it was the right thing <laughs> no, to do for the family. Right and I, I respected his decision. I mean, sure. he, he felt very, very comfortable with that. 
and that's that's how it happened. But uh, different once again, it's timing, circumstances, everything. You know, things worked out. He was happy there. Well, it worked right. out for him for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. He 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 he. he his his mentor there would have been the defensive coach was Osinki because he Marco Siki yeah yep. he yep. does a nice job another Minnesota guy Denny yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> out of Minneapolis yeah, absolutely Denny this has been a fantastic conversation sharing old time hockey you know and and I I notice that you've got some notes in front of you is before we sign off here is there another story that you would want to share with our listeners uh you know of your high school or collegiate years that we didn't touch base on oh <laughs> i don't even know if you want to put this one on the record i'll tell you but we had a similar situation at ed mariucci arena and uh we got in a little fight dick paradise and i and what a what a duel! What a I want to hear this one. Know. Yes, <laughs> it's going to sound like we got kicked out of a million games. I'm probably telling you, it was probably three games in three years, but they were just such memorable events. You know, it wasn't your typical punch a little bit type thing. And the guy that got kicked out from their team was Jeff Sauer. Oh so my gosh! Colorado okay, Colorado College. Yep. But we were Dick was very upset that two of us got kicked out and only one from Colorado College, and. At that time, if I remember right, we went down a staircase to go down in the locker rooms under Mariucci Arena. And then there was a long hallway, and it was their locker room and our locker room. Same scenario, Dick says, I'm going to go get them. <laughs> so <laughs> down the hallway we go, and uh, Mary, you, and Dick got them. <laughs> right? And I held the door shut. Okay. Oh, <laughs> nothing going on here. Nothing to see. Party people, to the crime right there. <laughs> Mariucci was so mad. He was so mad because he thought two of us were after one guy. You know, and he, and it, remember now, Mariucci was the bad guy of the league. He had 460 some stitches in his face. He was in 10 of the 20 most memorable NHL history fights. You know, and here's a guy that was, you would get real upset if you didn't do something ethically, okay? And that would not have been ethical to 1 1. He didn't like that. But he got over it real quick when he learned that I was doing nothing but holding the door and it was one on one. So he was, <laughs> he was then okay with it. I was okay with it. Okay. <laughs> Well, you guys must have been known that you you guys were a force to reckon with. Oh God! <laughs> and that's Dick. Dick. Dick Paradise. What he was best man, and I my wedding. I was best man in his wedding, and it was a situation to where he was built like a Greek god. He looked like a Greek god. Not a bouncy bounce, an ounce of body fat on his body, and just no fear. The guy had no. You know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that that has. It would be like a boxer, I guess. I can't imagine, but absolutely no fear, just fearless. And yet there's a guy that he died on the ice at, I think it was 46, playing for the North Star alumni game over in Wausau, Wisconsin, of a heart attack. You just never know. You yeah, know, didn't you never, don't. Never smoked, you know, nothing like that, just but a wild, crazy guy. And his, that, his mother, they grew up in West St. Paul, and his dad died at an early age, and his mother raised four brothers, his three brothers, and they were all just nice guys, but tough kids, real tough kids. Herbie Brooks called, uh, this is one of the best quotes I saw in the paper here oh, a long time ago now, but he referred to the St. Paul type players as the lunch pails. And the Minneapolis were known as the cake eaters. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's back then. Okay. <laughs> Things have changed. Yes, they have. But there was a difference. You know, there was a difference. Um, we weren't the fraternity type guys. We were the dorm type guys. You know, they were the, it was just a difference in background and culture. That's yeah. all I can say. Well, thanks for sharing those memories, and I'm glad that you were able to make those memories, and you certainly have passed on your athleticism, you know, a couple generations down to your grandson, and Mogi, what do you think? Well, I just, I even wanted to ask him a couple other things. Um, you've had a couple of your grandsons go on to play hockey, and I can imagine that uh, we're up here with you at your lake home, I can imagine you've had a couple of bonfires out there in the summer and maybe regaled them with some of your stories. 
Oh, they, they, yeah, they, they loved having me tell some of their stories to their friends once in a while. You know? I can't, but I can understand that. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, we spent a lot of time up here. This is this would be a year, one of the few years that we won't have a rink out here. You know, where we had a, we plowed a big hockey rink, and ever since they learned to skate, we played a lot of hockey out here over the Christmas holidays and stuff. So, Ty, we got to spend quite a bit of time when he was small on the ice with him, and. The same thing with Ben, you know, uh, Cole, our grandson from Wausau, and Andrew, ties uh, good hockey players. You know, yeah. the, some of them could have could have played, I believe, at a different level if they did. But it, once again, it's like I mentioned before: it's not only the skill level; you have to have the commitment and the desire, and that's what Ty has always had. He's always out in that garage shooting pucks. You know, that's when he had time to do something; he was bettering himself as a hockey player, and. The kid learned real easy. I, I can remember one thing I would say that I helped Ty with at a young age is I made him put a hockey glove in his mouth and skate around controlling the puck so he didn't learn to not look down at the puck all the time. Oh, there you go. You know, yeah. That's an example of the type of thing you can do with kids at a really young age, you know. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm proud of all of them. But Ty is obviously, we, my wife and I have enjoyed the experience. Right. So you've had just a phenomenal uh, athletic career. You've had just a tremendous business career. What do you What do you want people to say when they speak about you, and what What do you want to remember be remembered for by folks? Oh boy, I guess I guess the remember what I said about Norm Eklund with the idea that I, I learned something there, and that is that. I don't know that I, I've probably made a few enemies in my life because I do have a temper <laughs> once in a while. It's very mellow now, but it, you know, when I get mad, I get mad. Well, yeah, you take guys into a locker room <laughs> well, yeah. and take care of business. <laughs> the Michigan Tech guys know that. The Colorado College guys know that. <laughs> but uh, I would say it was just um, to learn to treat people well, you know, to where – it doesn't make a difference who they are, what they are, what their accomplishments are, don't have accomplishments. I think that's what I would love to be remembered by as a, a person that just cared about the people. That 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 would be, I hope, the best legacy I could leave. Mogi, I don't know that we could uh, end on a better note. That's 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 a wonderful legacy to leave, and uh, again with the with your grandchildren, great legacy. They've uh, had obviously a mentor in their life and uh, someone to look up to and uh, to guide them in the right direction. And uh, future looks bright for the for the Zaco kids. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was a great interview with Denny Zaco, and now we are with our special guest, Sarah Edler from the Rock County Fury, Mogi. Sarah, so thankful that you could join us today after a game um, here at the Chippewa Tournament, and we're looking forward to hearing your story from a gal in, from Illinois playing with the Wisconsin team. Yes, thank you for having me. You know, you talked a little bit about us, uh, about the situation of you starting hockey before we uh, started recording. Why don't you tell our listeners how you learned about the game of hockey and how you got interested? Well, I was watching the 2014 Sochi Olympics, and... My parents were like, hey, do you think hockey looks interesting? And I'm like, yeah, let's try it. And so we went to a Try Hockey for Free day, and it all started from there. Try Hockey for Free. So is your family uh, an athletic family? Uh, yeah, they've been pretty athletic. Um, two of my brothers have won state championships in football. Okay, so it's ath- athletics is in your genes then. It's in your makeup. Do you play any other sports, Sarah? Um, I run track, and I also play golf. Wow, excellent. Yeah, does a very good job. Let's talk a little bit about the Rock County Fury. What position do you play? Um, I play left defense. And see a defenseman now, Moog. We've had a lot of defensemen, and and I I, I like defensemen. They're they're great because they pass the pucks up to the forwards. That's, yeah, we like that. Yes. <laughs> Moogie's a forward, and I'm a defenseman, so that's how that works. And how's your season going so far this year? Um, it's been an interesting season. We have about a 500 win loss record. Uh, we lost our our two top forwards graduated, so we've just been trying to find our roles on the team and just kind of keep the team chemistry going. Has the 500 season deterred you from that drive of wanting to play hockey? Not at all. 
All right. Oh, with a big grin on her face yeah, right now. She's got a huge smile on her face, which tells you a lot. Um, so, Sarah, I'm looking at your roster here, and I, and I understand that you're a co-op from down in southern, southern uh, is it southeastern Wisconsin and northern Illinois. Yep. Okay. So how do you, how do you develop cohesion when you're, when you're dealing with situations with gals coming from two different states and then multiple school districts? Um, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but our team has been pretty good at being together and having a cohesive team. So we just keep working on our team mentality and just coming together, even though we are from different schools. And we do team building, like we we just had team building last night, where we all had a we all got together down in the breakfast room and did each other's nails. Oh, hey! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Okay. <laughs> and I and I would imagine that this would be a great weekend because you come up, uh, you spend three days together. I mean, you're in hotels, you're probably on the bus going back and forth, so a lot of good time together. Yep. Wonderful. For our listeners, uh, she's been involved in a tournament here in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. I think that there were six teams or eight teams in the tournament. Yeah, something like that. I think maybe eight. Yep, eight. All right. But you guys uh, lost a barn burner last night, double overtime shootout. Yeah. How did the team feel after that, and were they able to bounce back as far as uh, their desire to want to just continue with the game? It It was rough to lose that one, but it did not deter us from playing. We kept. We went out there the next game and we gave it our all. You know, there's Tell nothing me. wrong with that. Oh, that's yeah. well. That's why we play the games. You never know. You know, if we're defeated before we go in there, why, why even play? So, let's get after it. So, tell me about your goalie, Olivia Cronin. Oh, she's a phenomenal goalie. Holy mackerel! She saw she she saw a lot of rubber this weekend, but she did very competitive in all the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she pretty much carried our team to state. With the help of our, some of our star forwards, my sophomore year, she was she was big. We had one game where it was a one nothing shutout. Wow, excellent! So, how do you see your role on the team? Are you the are you the one that is trying to put the puck in the net, or are you the the rah rah one on the bench trying to motivate everybody, or a combination of both? Um, I'm kind of the. I try to motivate my teammates, though sometimes it's a little it's a little rough sometimes, but. I tried, I'm mostly a lead by example type of player. I try to be physical in the corners and get the puck up to my forwards so they can try a score. Oh, I like the grit, a grinder in the corner. Well, that's, that's where a lot of games are won right there in the corner. You know, who's going to be courageous enough to go in and who's going to be uh, talented enough to come back out with the puck. So uh, how about the, the physical game you mentioned? Um, gals aren't supposed to check. Correct. But, uh, but I saw a little bit of bumping and thumping out there indeed yes <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a lay you're not afraid to lay, lay down a little smack down when you have to is what no, you're saying no, i'm not <laughs> all right still a smile on her face yep she's still smiling <laughs> <laughs> are there any players that you like to follow uh whether collegiately or in the pro level that you kind of think ah oh, man i'd like to play to that potential or i like to follow my game after them uh, one of my favorite players is Char- Charlie McAvoy on the Boston Bruins. I just love his grit and his tenacity when he's playing. And I also I also like to watch Alexander Edler. He plays for the Kings now. He's number two. Any relation, Sarah? Uh, somewhere. Yeah, we won somewhere. <laughs> that a girl. All right. <laughs> you know, the big question here, you know, you're from Illinois. You're playing hockey in Wisconsin, but you, you walked in with a Detroit Red Wings hat. How does that work? I just really love the team. Um, the first player that caught my attention was Henrik Zetterberg. Oh, yes, top-notch player. Mm-hmm. And I also liked uh, Pavel Datsuk, but he's since left. But I just love the tenacity of the team. They didn't have the most winning record, but you could tell that they were always out there giving it their all. And you like to do that your, yourself, is that right? Indeed, yes. Sounds like those are the players that inspire you. Anybody you want to give a shout-out to? Any teammates or coaches that have uh, helped mentor you along the way or you like playing with? All right. She was a senior when I was a freshman on the Rock County Fury, and her name was Cami Ganshirt. She played defense, and at the time I was actually a forward. And she just always had the most positive attitude. She was always physical in the corners, and I just really – she was my role model. She always led the team. She was one of our captains. 
That's great. Nice shot out there, Moog. I think uh, think she's done an excellent job for us on this podcast. I think she's she's been great. Uh, we appreciate you coming here, Sarah, and spending some time with us after the tournament. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, and thanks for being here. Moog? All right. So a huge thank you to our audience as well, and thank you to our special guest, Denny Zacco and Sarah Edler, and a special thank you to our sponsors, Raleigh's Coach Club and Hertel Law. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and visit us on our website at thebreakoutsessions.com. And remember, folks, until our next episode, stay on your inside edges. Catch up, friend.